What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. It is Tuesday, May 5th, 2020, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Yesterday was May the 4th, right? May the 4th be with you. Anything happening today? I don't know. I mean, look, I know there are a lot of peaceful Jedi out there that celebrate (laughs) May the 4th. I'm a very vengeful person, so I prefer Revenge of the Fifth. Ah. (laughs) Uh, Natalie, so I remember this, and it occurred to me, because I've seen the memes for a long time, and today's news was very depressing, because today was the day everyone has been training for. For the first time in years... Cinco de Mayo falls on Taco Tuesday. And we can't do anything about it! <laughs> Here's what you gotta do is uh, get yourself some emergency, right? With some, uh, what, what, what alcohol do you need for the quarantini? Yeah, you know what? Tequila, I guess, would yeah, be today. Yeah, some tequila, yeah. Tequila sunrise uh, with some emergency. And uh, I don't know, maybe order some tacos on Uber Eats? There's, there's a way. There's a way to make it to salvage the day. <laughs> It's not the same, man. It's not the same, no. It's, it's not. not the same. <laughs> no, but um, guys, it has been a quite the day, quite the week in the world of mixed martial arts. Um, you know what, Natalie? I think it's finally gonna happen. I think finally, for the first time, we are gonna have UFC fights live. How do you feel about this after two months away? Ooh, I'm excited. I still say God bless Florida for, for opening the door here for the UFC. And uh, I'm just I'm just super thrilled. Now, I still have a baby. That, that guy's still here. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'll have to figure out when I can actually start watching the fights on Saturday night. Hopefully he'll be asleep by like 7 so I can sit down and relax. But no matter, I will get my fights in. I'm thrilled that there's a that the UFC is back, and and I know we're going to get into it, but I can at least say right now it's a heck of a card. Gosh Almighty! Out of curiosity, do they have like little baby like eye masks, like the ones they have adults <laughs> for sleep? Because I was thinking, you know, uh, and we talked about this, you know, like development. You know, he can't sit there and stare at the screen forever. But I feel like there's a solution to your problem, so you could both. Feed Joe and have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> well, you know what? They sell uh, head, like ear protection. Like, you know, you see Donald Cerrone's kid in the octagon yeah. with the... Okay, so the one we have for him, uh, apparently parents use them to... When their kid sleeps to help block out the sound. So technically we could try that. I don't think I'm, I'm willing to do that just yet. I feel like he's a good lad and he'll be, he'll be asleep by at least 7.30. So we're just going to take a chance. <laughs> I just say keep the volume at a good uh, good level and just introduce him to the world. Yeah. You, you can't protect him from MMA forever. He needs to be brought to our side soon. He, do, he In does. these very important developmental months, Natalie, this is where you have to do the groundwork for the rest of his life. He has to learn violence, you know, respectful violence at an early age. So I think I think now is the time. Yes. Perfect. Let's talk about some good news, shall we? Dana White, put it this way, when it rains, it pours in Florida, apparently. Dana White announced a, not just the upcoming main event, he gave us full fight cards 
for May 13th and May 16th, so next Wednesday and next Saturday. So we've talked about this. There are going to be three fight cards within a seven-day span, technically four within two weeks because the May 23rd card is also been announced. Also, I don't know if you saw this, but earlier today, Dana spoke with Sports Illustrated. He announced that the plan is for the May 23rd card to be in Vegas. Um, Most people are figuring the... UFC Apex where they do contender series so Natalie not just this Saturday there is a lot to look forward to to give a quick recap on May 13th the Wednesday card that will be headlined by Anthony Smith taking on Glover Tashira in the light heavyweight division on May 16th the Saturday that one is going to have the rescheduled fight between Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris And not for nothing, just to give us that spare change, all signs are pointing toward Tyron Woodley taking on Gilbert Burns on May 23rd, the following week. Um, And then with that, there are a lot of guys on these undercards just peppered throughout the entire two weeks. So Natalie, what are your thoughts as I announce all of this to you? Yeah, man, this is great. This is great news, and I'm excited to know about the Vegas, you know, possibly May 23rd being in Vegas. That's extra exciting because... Uh, I'm sure the UFC was dying to get back into Nevada because they have the facility. It's going to save them so much money. They can control it better. Um, you know, who comes in, who comes out, and they have all their equipment, the stage, the lighting, everything's all set up. So once they get that green light for Nevada, I think that will be a great relief for them and facilitate these fights coming together a lot more smoothly. And uh, you know what? I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about these other cards, too. I'm looking at the lineups here. Good old Angela Hill, man. She's she never uh, she's always up for the fight. She's like you know the the Donald Cerrone of the uh, strawweight women's strawweight division. So I'm excited to see her fighting, and uh, we've got got a lot of other good fights coming up. I you know it's they're not pay per view, so of course the UFC 249 is is way more stacked. But what I what I really just like that what the UFC is doing is they're just hitting the ground running. They're getting the ball rolling. And they're just they're just booking fights, booking fights, booking fights. And once people see that, like, you know, hopefully we get through UFC 249, May 13th, May 16th, and everyone's coming out, you know, healthy, as healthy as they went in, apart from whatever damage is caused in the fight, then you'll probably see more fighters raise their hand and say, okay, I'm willing to fight now. I'm willing to, to, to get in there. So this is going to be really exciting. Also, last note here, um, I think it's, going to be really significant for the UFC and certainly you hear Dana White talking about this to be the first sport back that's something that's a flag that they're going to wave till the end of time because they had the creativity and the flexibility and you can say the guts a little bit to to push hard enough to be that first sport back and um, good on them what I hope is that it actually brings eyeballs new eyeballs to to the sport and to the promotion Yeah, I mean, to look at a big picture, obviously, you know, the key thing is as the ball gets rolling, there is a little bit of nerves that everything, like you said, everyone comes out fine, which, yes, I'm aware that they're taking precautions, but if there's one thing that's been hammered into us for the last two months, it's the fact that, you know, you're trying to take less risk of that happening, so that's the first one, but overall, yeah, I mean... Really, I feel like there was almost no other way this could work. I almost feel like Dana White is trying to, I don't want to say overcorrect, but he's almost trying to force a reset on everything because 
if you get all these fights churned out, what does that do that automatically gets fighters set up moving forward? I will say this. I know we're excited. We're about to have three fight cards in a week. Guys, the, even though the UFC is huge, there's not enough fighters on the roster to do three cards a week for the next, you know, seven months of uh, 2020. So, Well, they I, should sign uh, those PFL fighters that got cut. They should temporarily, uh, you know, like uh, uh, rent is, is a terrible way to say it. There's another word for it that I can't think of, but you know, reach out to fighters from other promotions and, and temporarily sign them the way the uh, Hollywood system used to do back in the day, you know? So, well, well, my point is that I think that the schedule will still slow down after this. Um, I will get to that because I think that the Kayla Harrison thing is definitely something. But um, I think that the schedule is going to slow down. But with that, though, the point is you are not only putting the staff back to work, but you're getting fighters their contracted fights and, you know, essentially honoring deals and also putting money back in your employees' pockets. So I think all of that is a very key thing. That's the reason why he's kind of getting these big numbers out of the way to help out, you know, alleviate the roster a little bit, so to speak. So I think all of that is a key. Um, hey, I got a question for you, though, before you move on. Sure. Do you know if they're going to have an embedded for this uh, pay-per-view? You know what? I don't think so. Um, I hate to say it, but the embedded almost defeats the point of it, doesn't it? Is that, you know, you're following these guys around and essentially you have to put more people in that vicinity. So I yeah. actually think they're going to skip it. But I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll get a little special, you know, uh, just one special episode embedded. Just somebody behind the screen video, you know, almost like the the hotel cameras. And yeah. the microphone set up <laughs> recording everybody. Yes, Maybe security cameras embedded by security cameras. Okay, one more question. Go ahead. Because we were just talking about this. You brought it up, and it made me think. You're talking about, like, like branded um, masks, right? Like from Lakers or whatever. Do you think the UFC is going to issue UFC or Reebok branded cloth masks <laughs> to the fighters? They already have them. I know that they're selling some for fans in, like, a three-pack on the UFC store I saw. Okay. Um, but... I am interested to see if there are any fighters who do it like the Reebok masks as they walk out like as part of their fight kit. I feel Dude. like, you know, if we're just going to play this, if we're going to do this, then why not, right? I think that that's all the in. next step. <laughs> that I can see that happening. I will say this. If you see a ref or two with a face mask on, that would not surprise me at all. I really don't think Yeah, you know, be... I didn't think about it, but it almost would be kind of negligent Maybe. not to it's sensible isn't it yeah yeah i mean so look i mean how it looks on saturday is going to be interesting um on let's ask a bit of uh, housekeeping obviously the majority of the episode we are going to break down everything ufc 249 all the action all the hits and all that um back to the fight cards though um what main event stands out to you out of the three possibly the smith tashira overeem harris and woodley burns Ty, uh tyron woodley against anybody and so so against gilbert burns that's that's a good great fight but i just really want to see tyron woodley back in action so so that one jumps out at me is it is it confirmed yet uh, the, also, everyone's talking it's reached that point where it would be shocking if it doesn't take place by now okay yeah 
But gotcha, I think they yeah. haven't, you know, they haven't officially checked all the boxes yet to say, yeah, let's make a poster. Which uh, which one are you looking forward to the most? Um, the Tyrant fight, just because of everything going on in the welterweight division, it's hard for me to just get like, oh, I'm pumped up because I really feel like that one, ironically, even with everything that's happened, that one has the most roadblocks in my opinion because we don't know what's going to happen. I actually really like the Smith versus Tashira fight. I think that that one stylistically, they have uh, the kind of game that could make it a nice fun battle over 25 minutes. Um, Overeem and Harris is like that too, but I also feel like that one is more likely to end quickly on either guy's side. So I feel like Smith Tashira is more bang for your buck. Um, and yeah, it's like with Tyron, it's like win or lose, where does he go next? So... And I will say this, I feel like he knows this too because he's also, or I don't know if they've already filmed it respectfully, but I know that they're talking about him with um, the Titan Games with The Rock on NBC. So that's supposed to be happening. So who knows, you know, if that's going to happen during quarantine or if it's already been taped. But yeah, that'll be something to watch. All right. Well, let's uh, let's just see what happens. (laughs) Uh, fun stuff. Um, Dana White teasing that he does. He has some interesting things for Jorge Masvidal besides Kamaru Usman. What do you think that could be? Uh, I don't know, man. Though I heard it could be Conor McGregor. Um, then also reading that maybe Conor McGregor maybe fight Island, and that would be perfect for Jorge Masvidal too, just because. You know, we know how much he liked being in isolation um, for that ex at loan. So it'd be kind of like a nice return to, to to recent form for him. So that would be an exciting fight, like on paper, but in the cage, um, that seems like a tough fight for Conor McGregor, man. Real tough. I'm not going to lie. I feel like this has been a case of doing too much reading for me. <laughs> Conor McGregor seems obvious, but I'm... I've seen stuff, Dana White saying they're getting ready to launch Contender Series for the year, talking about Ultimate Fighters coming back, Um, and all of this still, you know, without fans anywhere, so in my mind, I'm like, what? You know, (laughs) if you thought this week was crazy, I feel like that is just as perplexing, that's as much the Nick Young meme with all the question marks. Um, Connor's like, that's gotta be it, right? But, I mean, for look... If for whatever reason something's going on, Leon Edwards is right there. Um, someone d- mentioned this, and I love the idea. If they're going to do it, Jorge and Colby Covington as the Ultimate Fighter coaches. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, so it's like, I mean, it could be anything. And then at the end of the day, I feel like, why the heck would you want anything besides uh, Jorge versus Kamaru for all the marbles? So it could be anything, but... Yeah, my money is on, you know, the short, easy money. Get Conor McGregor in there. Against Dude, but Jorge, Jorge Colby on Fight Island with Tough, that would be crazy. Like, if they had the Tough house there and they made the coaches and everyone stay on Fight Island and then fight, that you know, would be interesting. I thought about this because how the heck would you do Ultimate Fighter? And then I realized, Gabriel, what are you doing right now? Like, Ultimate Fighter is essentially quarantined just with cameras. Yeah, so, and no TV, so it's um. <laughs> yeah, 
We're basically doing Ultimate Fighter minus the fighting. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's actually a little more possible than I think people will give it credit for. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, if, who knows? But I do believe it'll be uh, Connor, if not Kamaru. Um, I'll, I will say this, though. Um, that is the most likely alternative. I do believe in my heart, though, that they're going to do Kamaru, Kobe, sorry, Kamaru uh, Jorge just to get everything moving along. Because with all the other players, Leon Edwards, Tyron, Colby, um, whoever is the outlier from Kamaru and Jorge, um, it just moves the whole division along. Pretty much you could get more pieces moving if you just have the title fight, plain and simple. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Kayla Harrison saying that um, essentially she not just wants to fight but needs to fight said that if I see essentially other places holding fights and PFL is holds to their thing that we're not going to fight at all in 2020 that she will worst case scenario explore options and essentially said that hey I'll do what I have to do for the business of Kayla Harrison you know to read between the lines, say, that would violate my contract, which would mean me looking for other places that will give me a fight in 2020. Uh, Natalie, this is very concerning if you're the PFL. So what do you think about this? Dude, I got to tell you, when I was mentioning earlier the UFC should look to other promotions, I swear to God, I hadn't heard this news yet. And so, <laughs> um, wow, yeah, that's that's smart, though, because she's... She's a super intelligent person. She's very charming. She's great on TV. And so she has that, you know, deal with ESPN, where she can, you know, and PFL, where she's able to do some mic time in addition to fighting. All I'm getting at is that she knows her value. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist in judo. Like, she's a high, uh, high commodity, hot commodity. And Amanda Nunes has nobody really, you know, she's got Felicia Spencer. She's got Megan Anderson. Okay. That's just because, honestly, respectfully, those are the only ones that are there at 145. If Kayla Harrison's willing to cut down and the UFC's willing to sign her, even for you know a short term, I, I think that would be the fight to make. That, that's a way bigger fight that means more in the world of combat sports. You know, a two-time Olympian versus a UFC double champ coming together. So if the UFC is, is smart, if they have in their battery, in Spanish you would say if they have their batteries in, the, the translation anyway, uh, they would go go talk to her people and see what they can work out. I think the PFL would be remiss to hold her down. You know that that's just not a smart move. They could make a deal where they let her fight in the UFC for a little bit until PFL re- resumes and then she goes back. That that's fair, and I think I think you have to just be fair to someone like her who's so talented and just coming into her own in MMA, like you can't let her sit by the, on the sidelines, you can't let her be stifled. She's got to fight, man, and she knows it. And so, depending on what her contract looks like, hopefully she can get something going somewhere else. Um, I will say this, I want to preface this. I do believe, and we alluded to it um, last week, I believe, or the week before, even if there's no tournament, I do believe there will be PFL matches in 2020. I think that... Um, Look, Kayla Harrison is the biggest star. Um, Rory McDonald's uh, up there now, but he hasn't had a fight yet. So, you know, he's kind of status pending. But Kayla Harrison is not the only person with a deal. She can't be. 
they have to have promised you know these guys are businessmen they are you know guaranteed like even if you get just destroyed in your first two tournament fights and you're eliminated they give you fights a lot of guys you know they'll still get a matchup whether it's a prelim somewhere or somewhere else it's not always all tournament um so by that coin I do believe that PFL as a business as a whole I do think that you know to avoid a lot of this other stuff they will eventually have fights um but like we said just not a tournament maybe a lot of catch weights to be fair to the I guess the whole point of the tournament is that they're at the weight right or they may just be like hey this is how it has to go down you know we'd love for you guys only to fight in tournament but that's not an option and that's just life right now after everything. That's all a possibility. But yeah. my point is, I do believe that they will have fights and that, you know, this will become a moot issue in a couple weeks or months. Now, I will say this. As much as I love the idea of the double champ and big fights for Amanda Nunes, um, all signs are pointing. I don't think there's anything for Kayla Harrison at 145 besides Amanda. Um, yes, there's Felicia Spencer and Megan Anderson, but I also feel like you're in it to be the number one person. If Amanda, you know, if Amanda's still champion, and that is an if, then really, you know, what other fights are out there besides Amanda Nunes? So I would point out that with Bellator, you have Chris Cyborg, you have a very active featherweight division by comparison. And there's all these options, the Ryzen thing. You got to imagine there's other options out there to bring in and move Kayla Harrison around. Really explore that if she goes there. Whereas UFC, um, obviously the big fight is there, you're right. But it feels very limited, at least with how it's set up right now. So I wouldn't be against Kayla Harrison going to Bellator either. No, you're right, actually. The, the UFC fight, it's like... You know, I got stars in my eyes thinking of her fighting Amanda Nunes. But the smart, smarter move, if she were to, you know, separate from PFL temporarily, is absolutely Bellator. Cyborg is still the bigger name over Amanda Nunes, even though she has the double champ status at the UFC and beat Cyborg. I think Cyborg's still a bigger name. You got Julia Budd, just a more robust division. Can she make 145 is the question. Um, but I think she would. And, and, and yes, we did talk last week about the PFL probably having non-tournament fights sooner rather than later, maybe starting the summer. But now I'm thinking if Kayla Harrison already has her wheel spinning, what value is it for, is there in it for her to have to participate in these fights with PFL, these fights that go nowhere, fighting people that she might fight in the tournament anyway. So it's a little bit of practice, I guess you could say, but man, if she could snag a deal with Bellator, now I'm on board with Bellator. I'm going to stick with that. If she could snag a deal with Bellator, and and do something crazy do something really cool get a belt and then go back to pfl i mean that's talking dream world but that would be amazing for her well remember i don't think uh, bellator you know right here right now would give her an opportunity to fight for a million dollars in one year i think that's a very very key thing um compared to pfl which by the way you know she implied as much pfl adds a lot of you know there's a lot of perks to PFL. She gets a lot of kick, not just her fight contracts and yeah. the tournament. So that is the key thing is that, you know, she's the biggest fish in the pond at Bellator. Sorry, at PFL. So, Indeed. you know, it 
that's something to measure, you know, if she gets the exhibition fights in PFL as opposed to signing a Bellator deal under the circumstances. But I believe it'll be a moot point. I do believe they're going to have PFL fights this year. I just... A lot more stuff got to go wrong. Knock on hold on. <laughs> Knock okay. on wood. For them, if they really do yeah, reopen up fights, they, yeah. they'll happen, guys. They'll happen. <sighs> Natalie, I almost forgot what this is like. <laughs> this Saturday, we have a stacked UFC event for what feels like the first time in forever. Um, and it really is, really. Um... UFC 249, it is not in any way the card we thought we were going to get. But really, um, the stakes are still the, the same. You have a lot of, you have two belts on the line. A lot of divisions with, a, you know, rank contenders are going to make moves on Saturday night. Um, we've talked about the logistics long enough. Let's talk about some fights and nothing else. Let's start it with the big one. Natalie, Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje. It's not Habib Nurmagomedov, but let's just say like it is. This is probably the best fight you could get in terms of action in the lightweight division right now. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, oh boy, is, is what I think when I look at this uh, this main, main event. What you got are like two two different types of savages, right? They're both savage, but... But Justin, Gaethje, Justin Gaethje's joyful. He almost has like a childlike innocence when he's in there. At the end of a fight, you know, he does his signature backflip. He's He says, oh, man, that was so much fun. Like, he just loves fighting. Tony does too, but he's like the scary savage to me. You know, he's the, I mean, you know, it's in his nickname, right? Boogeyman. I was re-watching that Pettis fight, and uh, after, after, one of the one of the rounds, I guess, the second round, first round, Pettis had a nasty cut on his scalp, and there was blood everywhere. It got on both of them. You know, they check Pettis' scalp. They go to Tony. The ref wipes just the front of his of his face, right? He just wipes the blood off his face, and so he still has blood on his ears and his neck and his chest and the back of his neck, and he just looks terrifying, right? So, so that to me is like sums up Tony Ferguson, and he's like smiling with that wicked smile. <laughs> And Justin Gaethje is the complete opposite. But again, they're both savages. One's just joyful and one's scary. So, so what are what are we gonna see, man? They have zero quit in them. They're both come forward fighters. Tony Ferguson is extremely creative. He's like dancing in there. You've heard Joe Rogan say it's like he's break dancing, and it really is the way he moves when he gets hurt and it happens. He literally rolls with the punches, right? He'll like tumble around and and just create this momentum for himself to get away he never stops super creative those step and elbows that he has and then on the other hand what's beautiful about Justin Gaethje and his UFC career is how he started how he has evolved since right he was bringing with him the old style of Justin Gaethje fighting standing there putting his hands up taking punches and punching back that was exciting but he lost two in a row after his debut and then he Wised up, I guess. He had the ability to change his style, and boy, did he change his style. He's super fast. He has great footwork, great head movement, and that killer overhand right. We saw him demolish um, James Vick. We saw him catch Edson Barbosa with it at the very end of his fist. Like, that overhand right is, is something else. So, oh boy, when you see the two of these guys coming together, it's just going to be collision, like two trains, you know, 
racing towards each other and gosh almighty i know we're not going to say our picks yet but i'm glad because this is one of the the hardest ones i've ever had to consider i wonder how you feel about it man (laughs) oh i mean it's a lot of fun um on your point i think the one uh, i mean you want to talk about you know the type of guy tony ferguson is when he's on top of anthony pettis face covered in blood and he's sticking his tongue out like he's just having a party i mean that's that's who that guy is he is that kind of savage like you said but look justin gaethje i think the thing that's exciting about this fight is he's that type of beast also he does not go away he does not take a step back you know he is in your face he's looking for spots to do damage everything is about putting hands on you inflicting that pain until you go down now he's just a little bit more of an assassin about it before he was just more of a bruiser he's going out there take one to deliver two doesn't matter if he's hit and getting hit um that's just who he is right now he's picking his spots a little more he's being more defensive and you've seen the results the thing about this matchup is that tony has not fought a guy this durable and with this kind of stopping power in a very long time. I think that that's the key thing is that for as creative and all of this stuff as Tony Ferguson is, Justin Gaethje is a very difficult guy to put away and he has that one-shot power. That's something that you really didn't see in punches from Kevin Lee, from uh, Tony, sorry, from Anthony Pettis, from Donald Cerrone. Justin Gaethje has it. And so, Natalie, for me, the rest, I think the wrestling of Justin, he won't use it as much because of the submission game of Tony. Um, he may pick his spots and see if he wants to battle him there. But if I'm Justin Gaethje, discipline, defense, pick your spots. The big X factor. All of these last few fights... Tony always seems to find himself in a bad spot. Yeah. Whether he's getting hit by Pettis, whether Cowboy is out striking him, whether Kevin Lee is getting him to the ground, it's never one-way traffic for Tony. He kind of outlasts all of these guys mm-hmm. and does the damage to them. Yep. That is a very difficult strategy to take for Tony against a guy like Justin Gaethje. I think that... um. If he get if it gets into a firefight, this could very well go Justin's way. Just because I feel like he's gonna take less direct hits. Whereas Tony, that's kind of his thing, you know. You don't know where he's coming from, but part of that is the hands are low, he's trying to set something up, stuff that leaves more openings than your typical guy. I love the fight. I think they're both going to do a lot of damage to each other for as long as it lasts. And so, Natalie, why don't you tell me first who you're picking? Because I'm not going to give you mine. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you. Now, I say this 100% completely respectfully and with love. But, like, um, crazy beats strong 9 out of 10 times, right? And so, normally I would think, you know, I'm not calling Tony Ferguson crazy, but his style is crazy. Crazy beats strong. Nine out of ten times, I think this is going to be the tenth time. I think Strong's going to be crazy. I predict with uh, with his head size because he's Justin's got a gigantic head, and that helps him absorb punches. I predict that because of his head size, with the, his leg kicks, 
and that overhand right, Justin Gaethje will come out victorious. I'm looking at a TKO, uh, actually a KO, sorry, uh, round four by just, Justin Gaethje. Ooh, TKO, you think he's just going to, like, standing TKO? Is it going to be on the ground? Vit, no, no, I think, I think it's going to be, actually, it's going to be like a straight, just like almost like a James Vick-style KO. I think he's going to eventually catch Tony Ferguson, who will be weakened by the by the duration of the fight, going back and forth with someone that throws bombs like Justin Gaethje. I think by round four, Gaethje's going to find that that hand that opening and land a whip fast, whip heavy overhand right and knock Tony Ferguson out. That's what I feel. And that's it, man. It sucks because I want to see Tony fight Khabib in like a clean way, right? Where they're both undefeated the way it should have been. This is where we are. And I see Justin coming out on top in a vicious way. I feel like, th look, there's a lot of that. I think that... um. The Tony Ferguson we've seen does not outlast Justin Gaethje um, by all, all the points that you made. I think that if it's the kind of Tony we're used to seeing, that Justin's style just really does the damage to a guy like Tony and eventually breaks him down. That being said, Natalie, I think that over the course of 25 minutes, I think that Tony Ferguson is just not given the credit he deserves. Because we're used to saying he's that guy and he's a little outside the box, to put it nicely. But I also believe that he's a guy who's a lot more intelligent than a lot of people give him credit for. I think he's got a lot more brains behind the operation than he talks about often. I think that he's going to fight Justin a little differently. And ultimately, these are two guys who are going to do damage to each other. It comes down to the fact that I think Tony's going to find his spots a little more often. I think that he's going to do a lot more hurt to Justin than a lot of people expect. And quite bluntly, I know this is a weird reason to say it, but I feel like on a 12-fight win streak, Tony Ferguson just is going to find that little bit extra to figure out these bad spots Justin's going to try to put him in and he's just going to get the job done, break him down, uh, gets the TKO finish down the stretch, similar to Dustin Poirier. But I got yeah, man. Tony Ferguson for the win. Okay. Unanimous decision? Uh, TKO in the fourth. Oh, TKO in the fourth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, there's, there's a lot of valid points. Going back a little bit further, though, I love what you said about Justin Gaethje. He'll have to be really disciplined with Tony Ferguson, that's for sure. So that is actually one of the other key factors in, in him from my perspective being able to defeat Tony Ferguson but I like what you said there is something about Tony Ferguson's mind the the just the beyond toughness of it having come this far five times failing to get that fight with Khabib into the cage the leg injury after you know the last time this coming so close like and having that interim belt and it was taken away you can feel it that he is just like Nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop me from getting that belt. And so there's way more on the line for Tony Ferguson than there is for Justin Gaethje. That might be the X factor, right? That that just like that extra mental like stick to itness. Like I am not, I am 100% not giving in, giving up. I will die in here. I think 
he will literally be willing to die in there. Not going to happen, of course, but that's the mindset he's going to have. So there's something to it, man. I'm sticking with, with Justin, but I will not be be shocked. You know, this is this is essentially a pick uh, because of how talented and 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 just skilled these guys are. So. I was going to say, Natalie, did you just change your own mind I about not, your own pick? I did not. 100% <laughs> you, I did not. Are you I sure? Think, I, I know that sounds like it is. <laughs> I still think Justin's going to win, but but I can't ignore it, man. I can't ignore Tony Ferguson and that mind. Like, you just look at him and you know he's just he's just going to hold on to that. Like, if you think of a dog on a bone, he's going to hold on to that bone, man. He will not let go. So we'll see what happens. I'm still picking Tony. I think, I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm <laughs> I'm still picking Justin. <laughs> I knew it. You knew it. Damn it. <laughs> it came out of you so naturally because that's so what your, heart, that's what those, your like, heart believes, isn't things, it? Think, you know? That's what your heart is telling you is true. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'll, um, I'll overlook this when I'm right on Monday. Um, moving on to the co-main event because it doesn't get better than that. Uh, the, the, you know what? He's gone from Triple C, the double champ. Now he technically only has one belt, but I'm going to give him the Triple C thing because that's his shtick, to be honest. Henry Cejudo taking on Dominic Cruz, who has not fought in over three years. Um... You know what? Okay, so here's the that this is the storyline, right? Dominic Cruz, how can he possibly come back and be the guy that we've expected that is the, you know, a lot of people would argue is the best bantamweight of the decade, arguably of all time. Um Natalie, I want to set up the stage for it before we talk X's and O's. I think what it comes down to is that every time Dominic came back like he was he hurt the knees or he hurt you know the shoulder or whatever um then he'd have an epic comeback so i did i did a whole piece on it 4 years he was out with the acl he comes back and he just destroys takeya mizugaki in the first round mizugaki at the time was on a five fight win streak it was just super impressive. It may not have been four years. It might have been two. I might be messing up the math. But fact is, it was several years. He comes back, just destroys a top contender, announces that he's back. Natalie, he tore one knee going into that fight. In Before he gets his next fight, he tears his other knee. And then he's out another two years. Comes back and he goes five rounds with TJ Dillashaw who was killing Hennen Barrow, who was the longtime champion, never been, never lost, hadn't been stopped in so long, and TJ just does work. TJ was the consensus number one guy at the time. I said this, I, you know, I, okay, you can find it if you go back far enough. I actually called in to Michael Bisping's radio show at the time, and I even said, I think that TJ is just going to be all of that and then some, too much for Dominic Cruz to handle. He goes out there and beats TJ Dillashaw. That same year, he goes on to beat Uriah Faber one more time. And then, of course, Cody Garbrandt, and now it's been shoulder and arm injuries that have kept him out. Natalie, each time he left, he came back, and he just performed in a way that made you believe. And this is where his legend status comes in, even though he's only fought four times in like 10 years, you know, in this decade since he got injured the first time. 
It's the fact that because he performed so well, he made you think that had he not gotten hurt, he would have handled business with everybody else in the interim also that was around. So I think that's why he's getting this fight. And that's why going into it, this is not just a, you know, a walkover, a pass for Henry Cejudo. This could be a very, very challenging fight. Yeah, man, this is an interesting one. I, I as we talked about last week, I think, or the week before, I, I was not at all bothered by this matchup compared to how I felt when it was originally Jose Aldo against Henry Cejudo. Why? I'm sorry. Well, because Where he did that lost come from? I'm sorry. <laughs> he lost at 135. It's like you can, you know, you're 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 an amazing featherweight. You're like one of the best, but at 135, you have one fight and you lost it. So you don't get a belt just because you're a great featherweight. But how a legendary is that, uh, featherweight. I don't say you know, this to bust your chops. I just want to know, how is that worse than Dominic Cruz getting this Dominic fight after three Cruz years? Because Dominic Cruz is a legend at bantamweight. <laughs> and he's, like, his career at some point, and you just you just, you just, just broke it down perfectly, That his, his career that you just broke down is why it makes sense, why it's okay for him to just come right back into another, another title shot. Because that's what he's been doing. He's been away for forever, coming back. Blowing everybody's mind, having a great fight, getting hurt. Coming back, having a great fight. Now, his last one was a loss. Okay, just like Jose Aldo. But it was a long time ago. Let this one add. doesn't bother me. Plus, it's just way more exciting. Come on, man. Dominic Cruz, he's great on the mic. He's he's uh, he's uh, got this really, really super unique style. Henry Cejudo is still new to 135. He's evolved so much in front of our eyes. The, the double champ, triple C, all this stuff. Like the story is just so much cooler, man. You, you, you can't ignore that part of it. Let me ask you this question because when I did my research, I was a little blown away. Even though I knew that was correct and I'd seen it with my own eyes, it still just kind of made me stop. And I'm going to tell you this and I want your reaction. <laughs> Dominic Cruz has only fought four times since 2011. Well, good for him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's fresh, I guess. No, that that's that's a very and very interesting stat. I just I just feel like special people get special treatment, and I would say that in this scenario, 135 with this time of of our lives right now that we're all on lockdown, his he him being selected for this fight is just is just much a better story. It's a it's a better, more exciting fight than you know had Jose Aldo been able to to make this fight with Henry Cejudo. I'm not completely against you. I want you to know that. I just wanna. <laughs> I feel like this is a good time to have one of those good discussions that they encourage you to have when you're learning to do a podcast. You know what I mean? Oh man, it's fair. It's fair, and like I get it. You know. Um, I'm I'm literally just being biased. I like this guy. I like this story. I see the 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 you know the flaws in my in my defense, but I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, and look, that's why I pointed out his comebacks were so freaking amazing that that's really that's why people aren't completely scoffing at this. That yes, there are a lot of people for a lot of reasons that are very common sense, but. Man, he gives you that idea that had he not gotten hurt, he would have still been at the top of the game. Um, but this is, look, I, I will say this. I think that Aldo was a worse matchup for Cejudo, and I'll talk some X's and O's with you. I think that um, when I look at it, 
I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that Dominic Cruz is going to come in, moving quick, ready for 25 minutes. Now, I will say it's optimistic to think he's going to look as good as he did against TJ Dillashaw, but for the sake of this argument, let's say that's the Dominic Cruz we are getting. All right? All that movement, very tough. I think that when you remember, Henry Cejudo, he fights at a more measured pace. He likes to do a bit of that karate stance, kind of be more patient, look to counter-strike with you, or, you know, try to get you up against the fence and use his wrestling. With all that, I do think that style favors Dominic. If you think about it, Demetrius kind of tries to do a little bit of everything. Um, the TJ Dillashaw fight ended quick. Marlon just kind of tried to get in his face. Dominic being able to get in and out with that movement, not be there for Cejudo's, you know, counter strikes, probably avoid taking kicks to the leg. That could make this a very long fight if Henry Cejudo struggles to close the distance. Now, Henry does do more damage per shot, and even though he's going to be shorter, I do feel he's stockier. I do think he is more powerful. He, if he does get that whip on the kicks into the legs of Dominic, that could really start to hurt the mobility, and we could start to see Dominic's just overall, you know, volume and movement really go down drastically if Suhudo could close the distance. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I was about to talk, and then I started talking. <coughs> excuse me. I know you choke on my brilliance. I all choke the time. on your brilliant analysis. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let me let me take a sip of water, please. Here, go ahead. No okay, word from go. our sponsors. <laughs> go for it. Um, the, you mentioned the karate stand, and that was the first thing I wondered. And going back and, and looking at some of these previous fights of these guys, will Henry Cejudo, you know, present that karate stance to Dominic Cruz? Because he did it with T.J. Dillashaw. He did it before that with um, oh boy, what's that gentleman's name? Shaved head, Brazilian. Henry uh, Brown. No, no, no. Oh, so, oh, oh Marlon. What I? No, it's another one that I can't call. And my fault for not having it ready. Um, but in any case, we've seen him do that karate stance beautifully. But he really did not, I don't think, do, do it with Marlon Rice. He, he was still um, a little bit, you know, like sideways. But he wasn't as extended as he had been with TJ Dillashaw and in previous fights. So he was a little more measured. Now, he still had his leg out there, and he had to keep switching stances because, as you recall, in round one, Marlon Marais just was kicking the heck out of his legs, right? So I'm curious how he's going to present to Dominic Cruz. Is he going to do that karate stance? He's going to do like a hybrid? Because Cruz, I don't think, he, you know, he'll kick his leg, but he's not going to be attacking that front leg. So I think Cejudo will feel a little more free to be in that karate stance. What, what did, that you, will, did you mean Wilson Hayes? Yes, thank you. Okay. That's what I meant. Um, We're good. And so we'll, um, what, what I think will be interesting is if, if Cejudo is in that karate stance, he's, I suspect it's going to be a little bit harder for him to move, to keep up with Dominic Cruz's like, you know, ping pong style of fighting where he goes right, left, then he bounces up and down a few times, brings his legs together and then moves around again. It's a little disarming, right? So what, how will Cejudo handle that? What is he going to have to alter his his stance, you know, try out the karate stance, see what happens, bring his legs a little bit closer together just so he can make some tighter circles and, and really move his feet. So I'm curious to see how he adjusts to Dominic Cruz. Now, on the other side, are we going to just see basically classic Dominic Cruz? Do you think there's going to be any new new tricks in the in the bag there from him? 
or, you know, why fix it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Like it's not that the style was broke. It's just that his body kept, kept keeping him from the cage. Um, but a lot of that does have to do with the way he fights. Like at least the, the plantar fasciitis that he had was because of how much he bounces around on his, on his toes. So that's what I'm wondering. But then mentally we're talking about, especially the fight with Marlon Marais, like, come on, dude, he was losing that first round. He lost it completely. He came back, he adjusted, he had that sprained ankle, he was getting his legs attacked, he dug deep, and he was able to not just beat him, but finish Marlon Marais, like, pretty, pretty soundedly. So, normally I would say, this guy's got a mental edge, right? He's an Olympian, he's a double champ, all these great things. But then you look at Dominic Cruz, and you just laid out his whole history, that timeline, beautiful timeline. Who else but Dominic Cruz is just as strong, maybe stronger than Henry Cejudo mentally, right? Nobody else in that division can has done what, what these two guys have done. So, you know, a lot of question marks in the air for me because it's been so long for Cruz since he's fought. And Henry Cejudo has been very selective about who he chooses to fight. But he's, he's not taking an easy path getting to the point where he can fight someone like Dominic Cruz. I mean, I think that's what makes it interesting is that I think a lot of people we've gotten – very it's very easy because he has been fighting to just focus on the cringe you know and all of this other stuff going on you can't understand you know you can't just say bluntly enough Henry Cejudo is a fantastic fighter he's got a lot of weapons especially in the lighter weight classes um he's just really built for it he has a skill set that poses so many problems to so many people and that's the reason for his success man every time I break it down I just I it's tough to see Dominic Cruz coming to that same level again it's just how could he like at a certain point you know and look I know we're also talking about Tony Ferguson on the same night and his ability to come back from knee injuries I just feel like how can you still be at that level to do everything you need to perfectly and still outlast a guy as good as Henry Cejudo. I'm going to say it right now though, Natalie. I told Michael Bisping, I did not think after the layoff that Dominic Cruz was going to have enough to overcome the great challenge of TJ Dillashaw. I am not going to make that same mistake today. And so after all this and all the story, I believe that Dominic Cruz is going to get the unanimous decision over Henry Cejudo, I think he's going to avoid the takedowns. I think he's going to find his spots. I think he's going to outpoint him. And I think he's going to pull off another epic uh, comeback in mixed martial arts history. Dominic Cruz for the win. Punch oh, man. You. I love it. I love it. And actually, nothing would make me happier than to see Dominic Cruz win. As much as I love Henry Cejudo and Cringe Hudo and all that, I would love to see Dominic Cruz just come in and snake and snake a belt, you know, just like come in out of nowhere and be like, oh, I got another belt. Thanks. And then like retire or something crazy, you know, that would be great. Uh, I, I just kind of feel like just having gone back and watched that Marlon Marais fight. I feel like Henry's a little bit extra special. I think because he's got, he's got heavy hands and he's got the speed. I think he's going to be able to wear, mm, not necessarily wear Dominic Cruz down because Cruz just can keep going and going and going. But I think he'll corner him enough He'll, he'll trap him enough that he'll be able to hurt him with his hands. So I actually think that Cejudo is going to 
I know this sounds crazy, but I think he might be able to finish, like, you know, get a TKO on Cruz maybe round four or five. I feel really bad saying it because it's not something I want to see. And, like, I think Cruz is going gonna, is gonna to put on an excellent fight. I just think ultimately Cejudo's hands are going to – they're heavier and, and, and he's going to find a place for them and they're going to hurt Cruz eventually. So I'm going to go with round five TKO Henry Cejudo. But I'm not happy about it. I want Cruz to win. Are you sure? I'm sure. I feel like this is another case so you know you're gonna talk yourself out of your own pick again. No, 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 no. I'm not. I, I want like Cruz you're... to win. Like this is this is clearly heart versus head. I really want Cruz to win. I'll be jumping out of my seat. I'll be rooting for him, but I think Cejudo's gonna get it done. I really feel like there's gonna be a lot of, you know, revisionist history next Tuesday, <laughs> Natalie. This is like the the, che- the cheater's way of picking a fight, you know? Oh my gosh. All right, let's move on. All right, so we're split on everything. Uh, the big guys, Francis Ngannou, Jarzinho, Rosenstrike, two of the coolest names in mixed martial arts, I mean, if I'm being jeepers. honest. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm going to just take it from here. I know that fights are supposed to be about better weapons and tactics over 25 minutes. These two guys are all about finding an opening early and putting you away if um both of them it's ridiculous i think they have less than four fights between them that have gone past the second round um just ridiculous Nganu's reputation speaks for itself rosenstrike last year he kind of did the same thing he just knocked out all these guys in succession and became the breakout fighter of the year then he comes back for a buzzer beater in the fifth round against Alistair Overeem and got that victory. Um, just a very dangerous guy. I said this, if you remember, before his fight with Overeem. He's got over 70 fights and over 70 wins in kickboxing. It's not like he's just this powerful dude. He's got a lot of experience under his belt. But man, it's Francis Ngannou also. You you know, even though he doesn't have all that background, his ability to put you away in the UFC, coming off the wins over Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, there's a reason he's at the top, and he's stayed there for the last two years. So, um... Yeah. Go ahead, Natalie, talk to me. <laughs> well, I just, you know... Every time there's a heavyweight fight, no matter what, I always say, oh, this is not going to go out of past round one, and then it does. And so I just sit there like, oh, boy. But this time, I really hope that we just see the fist fly. I, uh, I just want him to get out there and just, and just throw some punches. But we've seen both of these guys in fights that, that don't go that way. You just referenced Alistair Overing. That was a slow fight. Went five rounds until the last you know, four seconds of the fight. And then Francis Ngannou. You know, there's the the infamous um, Derek Lewis fight. I think there was another one too, or maybe just that one, where you know the the last thing you want to see is just two heavyweights kind of just like moving around each other and nobody's knocking each other out, right? But my hope is that because I think that the fighters are going to be a little bit like more ramp, amped up because of the nature of, the, of this card, the times we're in, they really want to give people a show. So I'm hoping that these guys just come out swinging and just do what we want heavyweights to do, which is knock each other out. That sounds pretty cold, but, but let's, not, let's not pretend that's not what we want from our heavyweights, right? So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just hoping that they, they just go for it. That's all I got to say about that. 
I mean, I feel like this one, as much as you want it to be about this and that, it's going to be who finds the right opening. Um, let me ask you very bluntly. Nganu says he's worked on everything since the fight with Stipe. If this fight goes to the later rounds, do you think we're going to see an improved gas tank from Francis? I think so, man. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but he's been posting like his workouts and like I keep saving them to my collection because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do that workout series. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet. But he looks pretty pretty darn fit. Not just, you know, uh, like his physique, but his stamina, but, you know, based on if he's really doing all those exercises. So, yeah, man, I think he can last for sure. Uh, however, look at Jarzinho's legs, man. They're just gigantic his thighs are huge so he's got a gas tank in his in his legs for sure that that'll carry him even if his lungs can't i don't know i mean i feel like he has to have i feel like he's a guy you know look uh, he doesn't just coast on the fact that he's got the power to put you down he has to have worked on it he knows he wants to get back to the top um, I think that that's the one X factor to it is if it goes to the later rounds, just how much was he able to make those adjustments? Um, so that's where I'm at with that. Um, I think Jarzinho's gonna have the longer gas tank overall, but Nganu don't just expect him to hit the second round and then he's huffing and puffing. I do think he's made improvements. I once again, I think it comes down to the opening. I think that when it comes to the two of them, Jarzinho's moves feel a little more subtle because they his fights end faster. That being said, I think that Nganu has had a long time to think about and prepare for Jarzinho. I think that it's going to be one of those fights. At the end of the day, I just think that Nganu's going to get the sequence he needs to get the job done. Um, you know what? Just the way we wanted to. First round, KO. Finds the spot, gets it clean. I like it. I think KO as well by Francis Ngannou. I think it's going to be round two. I think they're going to they're going to make us suffer a little bit, keep us on the edge of our seat, and try to fill each other out in round one. So I think it'll it'll come down in, in in round two. What you said was perfect about Francis putting together the right sequence, and he's got that hand speed, and he can catch you. He can catch you at like um, off angles. You know, like you think you're, you're you know you're moving your head in a safe space, but there's no such safe space with him. He did it to, um, oh gosh, I can't remember who it was, so sorry about that. But he did it to someone, uh, JDS I think it was, that he caught him like in a really weird place. Cain Velasquez kind of did the same thing to him. So TKO, oh sorry, KO, cold, cold knockout, Francis Ngannou round two. Oh man, I can't wait for this right now, dude. <laughs> I think it's going to be good. Um, you know what? All right, so that's the top three. Look, we could be here all day with the card. You got Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Cater. You've got uh, Donald Cerrone returning against Anthony Pettis. That one's got a lot of questions about uh, Cowboys durability. I think that one will be really good. Um, the X factor for me is that um, with everything going on at strawweight, this one, Karate Hottie Michelle Watterson against Carla Esparza, that one is sneaking up on me. I think it's going to sneak up on a lot of people. This could be a title eliminator for Michelle Watterson. If you look at the division, you know, Whaley just beat Joanna. Rose is, you know, taking some time away. Uh, Tatiana's still on the men from her injury. Suddenly, who's there for Whaley Zhang? 
Um, and I think that this is a big fight for Michelle Watterson to possibly leap in there. What about you? Yeah, man, that's a great point. And, and, uh, just going back and watching a little bit of her fight with Joanna and Jacek, like, you know, she got out skilled, frankly, in that fight. But the first round she came out and she had good speed, good attack at the, at least the first half of the first round. So you could say that's not saying a lot, but it is actually. And, and Carlos Barza has improved so much. She's super game. Man, she has a heck of a poker face. Like, no matter what happens, if she eats a shot, whatever, like, her eyes don't change. She's just, like, completely still. So there's something really special about both of them. They're both really in need of a... Of a, of a mm, they, they both need to move their career forward, right? This is an important sort of point for both of them. Now, Carla Esparza is coming off that win at length against Alexa Grasso. A little bit controversial, right? But I thought, actually, she did win it. I think I thought she did win rounds one and two. Um, so exciting fight. I love both of these fighters. Carlos Barza has no quit in her. And we saw it with the armbar attempt by Alexa Grasso. You know, she just kind of rolled with it and let her elbow get bent all over the place. We saw that with Michelle Watterson too, though, in her UFC debut. She didn't, she didn't tap or anything. So who knows, uh, how, how the ground game is going to go because I think Watterson has great defense and she's got, she's got great submissions too. But ultimately, I think Michelle Watterson is just more powerful. Like she's she's a bigger fighter. Um, she has those those strong, powerful legs, and I think that she's going to be able to do damage with her kicks. I, I I even kind of maybe see her doing some damage with head kicks or or maybe some good body shots with her legs. So that's going to be the the upper hand that I think Michelle Watterson will have over Carlos Barza. Oh, man, it's just going to be a good one. I think that the wrestling of Carla really can bail her out of this one. I yeah. think that, um, it, look, Michelle Watterson's well-rounded, but Carla does have that in her back pocket. She's out of a great team as well. It really just comes down to the adjustments, I think, that Carla, sorry, that Michelle has made since that fight with Joanna last uh, fall. So it's good. But, yeah, like I said, I feel like this one, don't let it surprise you if suddenly this is a title eliminator and you can't understate the kind of hype that she could get if it goes down the way a lot of people expect and everyone in MMA is talking about UFC 249 and just all the winners and where they go moving forward. So that's my big thing about it, but oh my gosh, it's going to be exciting. So I'm ready for it. Um, just positive vibes. Everything goes perfectly for everybody involved. Um, it's going to be such a fun show. I am ready for it. Natalie, can you believe it? We will have not only, not only UFC 249 to talk about, but we're going to have two fight cards to break down next week. I, I can't believe it. I'm so excited. I'm, uh, you know, I'm grateful to have sports our favorite sport too back. And, uh, I just want to be able to, for everybody to just enjoy and, and see some good fights and everyone, you know, stay, stay safe considering that, you know, they're all going to be fighting, but you know, stay safe in, in the, in the times that we're in. So. I mean, there you have it guys. That's the end of our show. We will be back next week. You can find me on social media at double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. Natalie, where can fans find you? I'll be uh, creeping on Twitter at uh, Natalie Zamudio underscore and on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. There you go, guys. Have a great rest of your week.